Cricket ACT acknowledges the Ngunnawal people, who are the traditional custodians of the land upon which we meet and play, and pay our respects to the elders of the Ngunnawal nation, both past and present. We also value the contribution that other diverse cultures, identities and lifestyles make to our region, which ultimately enhances the richness of our society and cricket community. Without a doubt, that was one of the greatest moments of my career. I say that in true sincerity because I, I think a couple of the highlights of my career was definitely that win against Victoria and Bendigo. They were pretty much a full-strength side. I think they might have only been missing Warren and maybe Matthew Elliott. So they had the Joneses. They had uh, a whole host of their international players playing. We played out at Bendigo. We were in a fair bit of trouble early on with Evans and myself out, but Solway and, and um, Brad Haddon, put on a fantastic partnership that that was that was a real highlight without a doubt i remember the players we didn't get dressed or out, changed out of our playing gear for the whole night had, had a great time but it's memories uh, long great memories that um, all of us have enjoyed and um sharing a beer and talking over for some time it, it's interesting to know how hats really sort of picked up his game from there and and learned some hopefully learned some disciplines but um and stewie carpenter who's back in canberra now so i believe was you know is an essential part of our team as well, but along with those guys, that many of them went on to have very good state careers and had an outstanding international career. You know the guys like Paul Evans and and how can we forget Solways and Ian Garrity's and Daryl McDonald's. You know they went on to play you know a handful of those Mercantile Mutual Cup games, and, and all of them have very good records. I mean, Peter Solway, without a doubt, could have played first-class cricket in any state had he had left Canberra, but um, he had a very good record um, playing in, in those Mercantile Mutual Cups games as well. So there was there was a depth of talent, but um, and there was just a real keen eagerness to, to play well as a team, and um, it made my job a whole lot easier. Um, and over the time, the two years that I was there, there was only two games that we truly got belted in. And one was against Western Australia in Perth, which, you know, most sides coming to Perth in those days used to get well and truly belted. And it was against Queensland in at the Gabba. And so other than those two games, we, we were pretty much in every game we played, which is a credit to us in many respects. End of every game, we really did sort of enjoy the fact that we had this opportunity, and uh, and I'll never ever forget that. But uh, no, there was lots of funny stories, Rob. But uh, I think the uh, the night that we won in Bendigo was by far the greatest, um, and and a very memorable one for me. Yeah, and I think you might have beaten Victoria the next year as well. We did. We beat Victoria the next year, right? And we beat Tasmania with Ponting, Boone, Divanito, Hills, Cox, in Canberra. There was, I think, Graham Cunningham hit the winning runs. There again, a really uh, important success story coming out of country New South Wales, um, getting an opportunity with Canberra and then went on and played first-class cricket for Tasmania. So we did. We beat uh, Victoria and Tasmania, both at home on those occasions. Yeah, it were memorable victories. G'day and welcome to episode five of a look back on the 100 years of cricket in the ACT. In this episode of Glory Days podcast, we take a look at the period from 1996 to 2005. Highlights include the rise and fall of the Canberra Comets and the former test players who came to Canberra, including Mike Valletta, who you just heard from. T20 grade cricket started, the ACTCA second 11 started as well. Western Creek's triple premiership treat, Chris Britt, record-breaking triple century and plenty more about the star players in this golden era of cricket in the ACT. 
I hope you enjoy. The entry of the Canberra Comets into the Australian domestic 50-over competition, the Mercantile Mutual Cup, for the 1997-98 season was a huge move forward for cricket in the nation's capital. The man who took charge was Mike Valletta, who had played 127 games of first-class cricket for Western Australia, as well as eight test matches for Australia and 21-day internationals, including a starring role for Australia in the 1987 World Cup victory over England in India. The elegant right-handed batsman wicketkeeper explains his move to the nation's capital and the excitement and challenges it presented. I was only young. I finished playing first-class cricket at the age of 31 uh, for West Australia, but um, I, I was almost in some respects losing a little bit of interest in, in many respects. So I'd played my last series for Australia. It was 91, the West Indies tour. I didn't really feature too much in that tour. The writing was on the wall there. And, and, you know, a couple of my friends had sort of finished in the preceding few years. You know, Jeff Marsh, Greenwood earlier than that, Wayne Andrews, uh, ex-Cambram boy. So, yeah, it, it was a changing era. It was the first year actually Gilly came over and he, he made a, a very positive impact on us. But I was really uh, keen to look at another challenge in my career and coaching was probably one of them. I'd been sort of um, working my way up through the system to do that, through the WACA. So the opportunity to play and to coach and to be part of the evolution of, of ACT cricket was really a great opportunity for me. I, I really was uh, – I thought the timing was fantastic. It was tough. It was challenging, obviously, coming from an organisation like the WACA that had been part of first-class cricket for many years, coming to Canberra Cricket. The, the challenge was to really try and lift – not only lift the standards, but lift the level of expectations. And we had, had a, a great blend of players. Um, most of the, you know, the, the people from Canberra were so keen for this opportunity and we're very fortunate in the early part of my stay there in 95 when uh, the ACB granted us entry into the competition some two years later. So we knew we had a destiny we were, we were working towards and throw in people like Merv Hughes was very keen to come and play, added a lot of experience to our side and then you've got young guys like Haddon and Hicks were both outstanding players that went on to play for Australia. We all know about Brad's um, and Stewie Carpenter and also to mention another one. So the timing was great for Canberra and support from the public was, was fantastic and uh, it, it, was, it was a very exciting time and I really enjoyed it and um, many of my lifetime friends are still from those days back from 95 to 99. So on November the 2nd, 1997, Valletta led his Canberra Comets onto Marnica Oval for its debut against South Australia. The team was Mike Valletta, Paul Evans, Peter Solway, Brad Haddon, Mark Higgs, Ian Garrity, Darrell McDonald, Greg Lemon, Hall O'Mara, Stuart Carpenter, Merv Hughes, David Thornton, 12th man. Move on to uh, the one-day game at Marnica Oval and uh, Bob Simpson was down there enjoying all the action. It was the coming of the Comets. It was their first game in uh, Mercantile Mutual Cup and uh, they almost won it too. It was a tremendous effort by them. South, uh, South Australia batting first, 237. In fact, their batting fell away. They were looking at a bigger total than that in the early stages. Blew at 97. And uh, Higgs, now Mark Higgs, we'll speak about him in a moment. Three for 35 off his nine overs. The ACT in reply, they were pretty well placed there for a while, but all out for 226. Solway, we've heard a little about this fellow. Apparently very impressive, 41. 
and Evans and Higgs also there in the 30s. Margin just 11 runs and uh, they look like winning it for a while, Bob. Well, they had it thrown up at one stage. Uh, four for 170 off about 38 overs was a wonderful position, doing it easy. And then, of course, pressure uh, got too much for them. Uh, they, they put pressure on themselves and uh, when they really didn't have to, they should, should have been able to cruise to victory. But then, what, four runouts? So they've got a few experienced players around yeah, who've been played a lot of cricket, perhaps not first-class cricket. Solway in particular is a very fine batsman. And they've got a reasonable bowler too. Mark Higgs there, left-arm spinner. And it'll be interesting to see how he comes along. But he took the bowling honours, three for 35 off his nine overs. Mark Higgs. Coming on from the uh, Canberra Avenue end with his left arm Chinaman. Oh, well, that's the second great catch that's been taken today. This time, Daryl McDonald is the man. The other one was taken by Paul Omar. That was quite brilliant. He had to go sideways and the ball looked as though it was going to get past him before he could get his fingertips to it. That's beautifully done. And Greg Blewett is going to be dismissed short of his 100. Short pitch ball may well have been the wrong one, which he didn't pick, and he's hit it straight to Darrell McDonald. Yes, that was always going to be the danger, particularly if he played the pull shot, but he went the right way. If it was the wrong, he was hitting with the spin, but didn't keep it down. That's a big breakthrough. Young Higgs doing a good job getting the two top scorers with his left arm googlies. Shout there from the keeper, and uh, he's gone. So Tim Nielsen has edged one through to uh, his counterpart and Brad Haddon has taken the catch. Yes, Mark Higgs, three wickets in his first game. Bob, uh, what did you make of it? I was very impressed. I thought he bowled well in very, very difficult circumstances when he came on. Got confused, blew it a couple of times with which way the ball was spinning. And when he uh, batted, he, he hits him a long way. He's very, very aggressive, very hard. Uh, went within about that far of picking up 90,000 with one, the uh, sign. Went straight over the sign. <laughs> Tell you what, he's got one of the strongest throwing arms that uh, I've seen for many years. So they've got two very good young uh, players. The other lad, uh, Alan's had in uh, the under-19 team. Brad Haddon. Brad Haddon, yes. Mm. Uh, he was the captain of the under-19 team, and uh, he's a good striker of the ball and good young cricketer. And So the ACT boys, I was very impressed with their uh, debut outing, and young Higgs, very impressive uh, all-round uh, display. So what's of the ACT? I mean, this is, uh, they've only played one, one day of uh, cricket in the big time, but... Do you see the time, Bob, when but maybe there's a case, perhaps 10 years down the track, of inclusion in the Sheffield Shield? I would have thought so, if they can do well in this competition. Oh, What's happening shot. now, of course, Very a lot of ACT players play in Sydney. Yeah. And now, uh, they're, they're, because of the, this particular competition, they're going back and playing in their own uh, team. So that's great. Yeah, they've got a future. Mervyn Hughes. I think he's the fastest growing sport in Australia right now. <laughs> <laughs> he was, is loving it. He was just so nervous and so keen to do well. And uh, he was shattered when they didn't get up in the end. So Merv will do a good job for him down there. Okay, big Merv. It's good to see him back in action and uh, well done the ACT. The Comets, the Canberra Comets, they just about got up in their first game and they're going to push a few teams in this competition. Mark Higgs went oh so close to making a really great debut, just missing the $90,000 on offer to hit one of the strategically placed mercantile mutual signs around the ground. That's a good hit. It's going all the way. It's going to... Oh, well, that is almost $90,000. The 
seconds on neutral sign was right in the firing line there i reckon about a foot and a half so near yet so far i tell you what that got murph hughes out of his seat have another look well if it was right on line it's even less than tony greg described it i reckon it's only a few centimeters and it was on line Three weeks after its debut game, Victoria travelled to Queen Elizabeth II Oval in Bendigo to take on a Victorian side that included Dean Jones, Brad Hodge, Damien Fleming and Darren Berry. In a huge upset, the Comets defeated the Victorians by 15 runs, stunning Australian cricket circles and vindicating the Comets' admittance into the Australian cricket domestic one-day competition. In front of almost 4,000 spectators, Victoria sent the Comets into bat and at 3 for 28, the Canberra outfit were in dire trouble. Enter Peter Solway and Brad Haddon, who turned the game with a magnificent fourth wicket partnership of 174 runs. Peter Solway recalls the day and the axing from the competition. Yeah, definitely fond memories of, uh, of year one. Like you said, we were competitive in the first couple of games and Probably a bit unlucky not to beat South Australia in the first game, maybe. But yeah, that the victory in uh, in Game Three against Bendigo was certainly a highlight for uh, for all the guys that played uh, played in the Comets that year. And mate, you must have great memories, obviously batting with a young Brad Haddon coming through, who went on to become a, a great of Australian cricket. You boys put on a, a brilliant 174 run partnership. Yeah, I think we were we lost, I think two or three quick wickets, and um, like you said, Brad Haddon came to the crease and. From memory, that innings of Brad's, I think he got 80-odd off, uh, you know, wouldn't have been too many more balls, was probably the making of Brad. And um, certainly, uh, you know, he put himself on the on the Australian first-class cricket sort of um, scene with that innings, I think. Good, good memories. Um, Brad was a Queanbeyan boy like myself. You know, we trained together and fantastic to um, to put on a stand and, and get, us to, uh, get us a win that day. Such a strong Victorian side too, like Dean Jones and Brad Hodge both made 60-odd. How did the Vicks take the defeat down in Bendigo? Because And how was it celebrated by you lads? Look, look, it was a really competitive game because I remember it was the first game that Merv played against his old Victorian teammates. So, you know, he was really pumped to um, to do well. Yeah, the, the victory was um, – everyone was on a high and, uh, you know, it was certainly a, a good night of celebrating um, our, first, our first victory. I'm guessing you didn't drive home to Canberra that night. I'm sure you would have stayed on and headed home the next morning a bit wounded. Yeah, no, it was a um, a, a good night celebrating and um, we returned home the following day. One of the things that really stood out, just looking through the you know, the scores from that first season and the next couple, they met the quality of the opposition that you played against each game. The, the three seasons, um, it must have been how the schedule was and, and I guess there wasn't all the uh, competing tournaments that there are these days, but... All the Australian Test players, from memory, you know, most of them played each um, each game, and um, certainly have fond memories of playing against all the sort of legends of you know Australian cricket, the, the Langers and Pontings and Slaters and these sort of guys. Yeah, it, it was uh, it, it was great days. It was good fun. And Peter, obviously, it only lasted the three years. I know the comments still played in the second eleven cup, but. It must have been disappointing for you in particular. Played in all eighteen matches in that first three seasons that um, it was decided that the Comets would uh, be taken out of that one-day domestic competition? Yeah, look, it was enormously disappointing when we um, when we were punted from the competition. It, it was, you know, political sort of decisions and it, it was um, a, a real setback for cricket around the region. Um, things were building up nicely here to um, 
we were getting players coming in, seeking opportunities, some decent players as well, look, looking to play high-level cricket and, mm. and and cricket around Canberra and the, suburb, you know, the surrounding areas and country. Vic got a real shot in the arm here. And um, anyway, hopefully one day we can um, have another crack and uh, might be a little bit more permanent, hopefully. The, the standard of club cricket was um, was probably at its highest. I, I remember pretty clearly every game you played, there were a couple of good quicks from each team and um, and you had some quality batsmen as well and uh, and you had guys, you know, competing to try and um, to make the Comet squad and, and, and make the team. So it was a really good period of Canberra cricket. I remember that, I guess, at Bendigo... Um, the pressure was on in that game, Victoria chasing our, our score. And uh, I remember there'd been a couple of, I don't know if you know, Bendigo Oval on the far side. It got a bit rowdy in the afternoon, the Victorian Bendigo boys in the crowd. And uh, there'd been a couple of drop catches over there. And I, I remember Valletta, our captain, going, Pete, jump out to uh, Cow Corner area. And uh, I remember thinking, geez, I don't really want to be doing that. I got over there onto the boundary and I remember this bloke, Everything had sort of gone quiet, and I remember this bloke saying, "Welcome to Drop Corner Solway. Show us your soft public servant hands." And uh, you know, that uh, I was thinking, yeah, <laughs> please don't let the ball out to me. And uh, anyway, and they didn't, which was good. So um, that must have said in the program I was a public servant, and um, yeah, so that went down well. Uh, probably one of the local Bendigo tradies giving you a bit of a mouthful, mate. So. Exactly. That's yeah, it. <laughs> all good fun. The win over Victoria proved to be the Comets' only win, but it was enough to keep Victoria on the bottom of the table after the six matches. In only one game were the Comets thrashed, and that was against Western Australia when beaten by 152 runs. The Comets' second season produced two wins against Tasmania by six wickets, with speedster Jason Voris taking three wickets, including both Ricky Ponting and David Byrne. Mike Valletta steered the Comets home with 68. The Comets' second win came when they again defeated Victoria, with Brad Haddon scoring a brilliant 133 off 124 balls. That included 14 fours and four sixes as they chased down the Vicks' target of 227. Jason Voris again took three wickets. The 1999-2000 season proved to be the Comets' third and final season after 18 matches in three seasons. Their final season did not produce a win. Their loss to New South Wales was ironical with former Comets players Brad Haddon, 70, and Mark Higgs, 77, starring for their new team. In March 2000, the Australian Cricket Board axed the Comets. Mike Valletta, like many at the time, was incredibly disappointed. Oh, look, well, that was massively disappointing. And for ACB to make that decision in those days, the manner in which the board was set up was very different to what it is today. And the delegates from each state's role was to take back to their state some piece of glory from Australian cricket. And unfortunately, we didn't have great representation at that point in time at the at, at the ACB board table. But our, our, our greatest supporter was definitely without um, a doubt from New South Wales. Alan Compton um, supported us throughout. We had limited support at the board table. It was very unfortunate that decision was made because it was a very narrow-minded decision because if you think about where Canberra is strategically and geographically situated between two biggest cities, it's centred around some of the greatest regions that we've produced athletes from within Australia and, and Canberra had a significant role to play in their development. 
Uh, so it was a very narrow-minded decision, extremely disappointing. And, and I was back in, in Perth at that point in time. And, and I did ask our delegate, our WACA delegate at that time, and the response was along the lines of, well, what does um, Canberra Cricket do for this state? And it's like, well, that's a very, same again, disappointing um, discussion. But um, hopefully the way Cricket Australia is set up now, we can understand the role that the ACT can play in cricket in Australia, hopefully in a much more positive way. The disappointment of being omitted from the domestic one-day competition was somewhat tempered by the inclusion into the ACB Cup second 11 competition for the 99-2000 season. The competition included the six states plus ACT and the Commonwealth Bank Cricket Academy. Matches were played over three days and on the fourth day, a one-day match was played. Highlights of the season included centuries to Ian Garrity, Colin Smart, Rod Tucker and Peter Solway. The following season, the format was changed to four-day matches. Cade Brown, with 377 runs, and Rod Tucker, 301 runs, were the best of the batters. In the four matches played, Evan Keller, with 21 wickets, was the second highest wicket taker for the season. Lee Hansen, a left-arm quick who had moved to Canberra from Victoria, became the first ACT player to be selected in an Australian side while playing in the ACT. Hansen played four matches for Australia, A, against India A, in all places, Los Angeles in 1999. From the inaugural season in 1999-2000 to the 2004-05 season, the ACT side was very competitive, with an equal third finish in 2003-04 season, its highest finish. Cade Brown was the pick of the batters, in this period making 1,565 runs at 41.1, including a majestic 223 and 62 in the one match against the Queensland Cricket Academy. Evan Keller took 76 wickets in the same period. Cade Brown reflected on this period and that double century. Unbelievably exciting is what it was. Always had a passion and a dream for playing at that level. Um, what I didn't ever foresee was that that opportunity would come through Canberra, but it did, and I'll be forever grateful for that. But, um, you know, I was about 20 when all of this unfolded, and it was like living in a dream, you know. I couldn't believe the grounds that we were playing on, the people who we were playing against. I remember walking out on debut at the Wacker past uh, Ryan Campbell's wicket keeping, Caddish was second slip, Hussey and uh, and the announcer was kind enough to announce that I was on debut and got a bit of uh, encouragement from all those folks. But it was, mate, you know, little things. Like, I couldn't believe um, all of the training kit that we got. I couldn't believe that we didn't have to pay for bats anymore. It was like being in Disneyland because it was, you know, I'd played in the Auburn Border and just uh, had this dream of playing first-class cricket and, and, to, and say cricket that through the comments was, was just unbelievable. And... Uh, and interestingly, I actually became really passionate about the comments really quickly, enormously proud of who and what we represented and really liked the fact that, you know, we were always going up against full-time professionals and we were a mix of public servants, policemen, uni students and used car salesmen, literally. You know, we, we were this, you know, unbelievable mix of, of people and, and personalities. It actually all hit me sort of... It, you know, my pride in, in the in the comments last year when, you know, my son, who's 11 now but was 10 at the time, came home with his first ACT tracksuit on for making rep hunt. And I was, my heart just burst with pride. I, uh, it was just unbelievable. So, 
just bloody proud to see him in, you know, some colours that I was just, oh. Oh, it was just a fabulous time, mate. It was, you know, all too short and, and who knows what the future might hold, but it was just, as a young kid, Robbie, from from the bush, it was, it was yeah. literally living the dream. You know, I think you, you're sometimes born with it, but, you know, I grew up in a, a little country town called Talangata and played Aussie rules and cricket locally for Talangata and North Aubrey and, and had a, a, a great season, uh, one great season with Mid United up in the bush. And yeah. playing man from a really young age um, in hindsight was really valuable for me. It was in ingrained that, you know, that real desire to win, the real desire to train hard, uh, to be tough physically and mentally. And and I think that fed through to my, um, to my to my cricket up here in Canberra. And, you know, oh, it's something I try to pass on. And, you know, you, you, know, you, you touched on that second 11 competition. It was just unbelievable. Again, we're playing on the, the best grounds. I was at university, so it was the best part-time job in the world. And I can remember playing against a young Finch, a young Sean Tate, Andrew McDonald, all of these people who were coming through the ranks at the time. And it was a, a really special time in my life and in our lives. You know, some really strong friendships travelled on the road. You'd be away for a couple of weeks and we were playing in the Australian Country Championships at that same time. And, you know, we all had a really, really strong bond, right? And um, it was a time in our lives that I will absolutely never, ever forget. No, and amongst all those good times, there is one game that really does stand out on a like on a personal individual aspect. You made two hundred and twenty-three in one of the games against Queensland, and then sixty odd in the second innings. What are your memories of that? So my first memory is that <laughs> that was great, but we still got beaten in three days, if I recall again, against Queensland. It was a yeah, it was a remarkable game. I uh, I went into that game in probably the worst form of my career. I remember turning up and. Five that we'd been stuck in a bat against Mitchell Johnson. A young Mitchell Johnson was coming through at the time. And right. for me, it was just a matter of him getting one full and straight and it was going to be all <laughs> over for me. But um, I remember it pretty clearly. We had a an opening batsman who was in pretty average form as well. And I, I sort of just joked with him. I was in a throw. I said, mate, I might as well <laughs> wait a square leg because you're not class and we'll just get this show over. And, um, <laughs> I remember I got away earlier um, and the boundaries were really short square. They just gave me width for, you know, uh, for the whole innings. And yeah, it's just one of those days when everything sort of slows down around you. And um, it was a fabulous wicket after the first hour. And um, I do look back at, at that day when, when everything went right. I still got the bat from that day, but um, you know, when, certainly when Mitchell Johnson had the success that he did, uh, it was really heartwarming Left on that day because um he was scary far. He put a few around my ears early. Yeah, look, you play for premierships, but every now and then to reflect on something that you on a day is fabulous, and that's probably the day that the sun shined on me, so it was great. Club cricket in the mid-'90s received a massive boost when players of the calibre of Mike Valletta and English import Darren Long arrived at Western Creek and North Canberra Ainsley, respectively. Valletta was employed by property businessman Ray Davis and worked alongside legendary coach Ray Hatch at Western Creek. Club legend and star ACT Comets batter Cade Brown spoke about Mike Valletta. Wag, as we, as we all knew him for me, Robbie, had an amazing impact and a lasting impact on both organisations. So from a Western Creek perspective, he laid the foundations for a culture. Unfortunately for Mike, he didn't get to reap those rewards because he went back and and didn't play in that era when we were so fortunate to, to win a few flags. But 
he had a really lasting legacy on, on the culture. So he shifted the way that we trained. You know, if it rained on a Tuesday or a Thursday night, there was no way that we'd ever go to training. We, we might go for a beer and a punt, but Mike was always not training Zion anyway. We can do something. We can, we can make ourselves better. And he that cultural piece was really, really strong. And I ended up, I was really lucky. I got on well with Mike. He actually got me here to Canberra and ended up, ended up living with him. And his preparation and recovery and attitude around playing elite cricket and what it took was first class. But I think his impact on the Comets was similar, and that was cultural. Um, we were semi-professional at best, playing against professionals, so we had to train like professionals. But the other thing that Wag did, he was our best player, and he always saw that he looked after his own game and, and scored the runs that he did between mentoring all of, all of the young folks like me coming through. He was... You know, just but outside that, just a, a terrific person that I know. Canberra means a lot to to the Valletta family, broader family as well. And um, he stayed in touch with a lot of people here, and um, he's had a, an unbelievable impact on on both organisations. West made it back to back two day premierships in ninety five ninety six before both Tuggeranong Valley and ANU both won two premierships each in the next four years. Tuggeranong benefited from the return of Peter Bowler from Tasmania, where he played in the Sheffield Shield. Bowler also had 12 seasons in English county cricket, seven with Derbyshire, three with Leicestershire, and his final two at Somerset. All up, he scored over 13,000 runs in first-class cricket. Western Creek won its first ever A-grade premiership in 2001 beating Queanbeyan, who had successfully chased down Tuggeranong's score of 352 in the semi-final. Tuggeranong's wicketkeeper, Seven Holcomb, made 187, while in the run chase, Queanbeyan's Jason Swift finished unbeaten 152. Western Creek in the other semi-final posted a mammoth score of 9 for 448 declared, with skipper Cade Brown making 112, making it his third century in four matches. In reply, Eastlake finished with 273, with Michael Dawn making 152 of them. Swift made another century in Queanbeyan's 279 after batting first in the grand final. Despite losing Brown early, Western Creek clinched their first ever A-grade premiership with five wickets in hand after a brilliant century from Anthony Maguire. Western Creek went on to win the next two grand finals to make it a hat-trick of flags. Tuggeranong broke the dominance of the creek by winning in 03-04 and to finish the era, Eastlake defeated Tuggeranong outright after Tuggeranong had been bowled out for 87 on day one. Eastlake's quick, Mark Diven, took six wickets in each innings. Honours were shared in the one-day finals that became the Conacher Cup later in the era. Queanbeyan took out three premierships while Western Creek and West won two titles, with Tuggeranong, ANU and Norths winning one each. Norths won the inaugural T20 title in 2004-05. Brad Haddon will go down in ACT cricket history as one of the greatest players to come out of Canberra. Cade Brown, who played alongside him with the ACT Comets, reflects on a young Haddon making his way into the game. I remember my first game against, firstly against Brad, was Country New South Wales Colts Trials, and and Robbie Jackson and I carried our bats, so we were none down for 230 uh, against the ACT, 
and Brad went at us as a 17-year-old. Uh, like, I had never seen a young person go, yeah, that he had a presence, first and foremost. And then when he came out to bat, it was it was just different, right? Everything he did was different. He, As a young guy, he would charge the quicks in, in the first 10 overs. He was before his time, but he just had this unbelievable hands that would get through the ball really quickly. It was just a pleasure to watch his career unfold. And, and now with the coaching and the commentating and, you know, to see what he went daughter and, and, and then come back again from that and, I just think it was just terrific to watch. And, you know, some of the stories that you hear about Brad when he was really young, before he had a, a growth spurt, that, you know, he'd play first grade and drop a catch. and But he had just this presence all the way through. And apparently it just clicked one year when he was about 16 or 17 and, and he was away. And, um, yeah, I've never seen anything like it in terms of clean hitting. Mark Higgs is the, is the one that compares. But, um, yeah, he, he was just at, at a different level to, to all of us. And what were the early signs as a keeper, you know, just his hands and that? You, just, you know when you see a keeper but you you hear a keeper, like that beautiful sound that it makes when the ball goes into their gloves? But for me, he just had this insatiable work ethic, right, as a keeper and as a bat and as a person. And you just knew that that work ethic combined with that talent was going to be an amazing outcome and so hard-edged as well with batting and just mentally strong with, you know, play with injuries, you know. And the way, you know, he took a punt and went up and basically took on Phil Emery and backed himself. And he had this watershed moment in my mind when he made, he came back and played for the ACT as well against Victoria and a Mercantile Mutual. And he opened the batting at about 140. And he just ran at Saker and these quicks and rifle. And he took he took them down. And I think he was still a teenager at the time. And I think if Phil Emery was watching that game on TV, he might have uh, packed the kid up because he was... <laughs> running after that. I think everyone knew, uh, including the New South Wales selectors and, and the rest is history, as they say. When it came to the best, Cade Brown had no doubt who he rated. I know Greg really well. He, you know, he's, a, he's a Western Creek man. He, he spent some time at ANU and, you know, he stands alone for me. Him and Pete Solway is the greats of Canberra cricket, if you like, um, who had a massive impact on people like Brad Haddon and some of the that came through and ultimately went on to play for Australia. He and Solway, uh, are in the grand final and, and the rest of, of Canberra cricket can line up after that if, if you ask me. Brown himself, a life member of ACT cricket, was one of the all-time great players with an incredible playing record at club and representative level where he captained the ACT Comets. Teammate at Western Creek and former ACT under-19s player Byron Field spoke about Brown. Yeah, rel- relentless and competitor um, is the first thing that springs to mind. I know that word is bandied around a lot, but you know, when, when you can, when you use it, um, to me, the context of you know winning finals off his own bat, um, standing up, you know, an amazing finals record. Um, so you know, won six to seven two day and and one day premierships through that Western Creek era. Um, you know, he was always at the pointy end, um, leading the way on, on the pitch. You know, it was, it was runs or it was dragging guys along with him. So, you know, just just amazing in that space and even better when the pressure was on. And what about the person? Obviously, you, you, you witness him on the field, but what do you see off the field with Kay Brown? Yeah, uh, you know, for, fortunate enough to be lifelong friends. This, this happens when you forge those sort of friendships um, through premierships. And, you know, he's got an amazing bubble. Um, you know, people talk about the three bubble of influence 
you know, Cades would be Cades would be hundreds of feet. You know, the, the work he's done with Lifeline is just incredible. And even in country cricket, you know, he's a, he's a country lad that came to the big smoke. I don't know Graham and Gail, his mum and dad um, used to come and love watching him, and he's, he's he was never happier as a person than when he was playing around his family. And uh, and that family extended, you know, like he, he took a lot of people under his wing and, and made us better cricketers and better people because of it, I think. Byron, what about the impact he had on, like, cricket, say, at, at Western Creek? We obviously see that, you know, you've mentioned a little bit about that, but just ACT in general, he has such a good record, you know, at representative level. Yeah, fascinating career. Um, you know, kind of bridged bridged from the let's call it the pro into the amateur. You know, the Comets had recently left the competition, and and Cade was there to try and drag the ACT to the top of the domestic competition, and did a fair job of it. You know, through that year they they punched above their weight, and he he would have nurtured a lot of young cricketers who have gone on to decent first class and international careers. You know, the, the likes of Irvine and and Rogers through that era, Thornton. You know, so many good young players that Cade kind of hung around with deep into his career and was still leading the charge, you know, well into well into the back end of his career. He was still playing very good um, domestic representative cricket, you know. So just an amazing thirst for, for competition and for the ACT to be recognised as punching above its weight. And I, th- I, th- I think he dragged us along in that regard. You know, everyone would remember, you know, Cade's um, PM's 11 innings at Marnica there. You know, the day started well for him because... Going into that match, probably not a lot of people would realise, but he broke his finger um, the previous week. When you're trying to get ready for a PM's 11, you're probably trying to whack a 1,000 balls and put your best foot forward. And I remember he didn't hit a ball that week. And he got to, I think the game was midweek, maybe Wednesday, Thursday, and hadn't hit a ball. It's like, oh, you know, it's great that he's playing. He's not going to do anything. And then they picked him up the order. You know, you took that catch in the first innings, which if you watch it carefully, I think bounced just before it got to him. But, you know, we won't, we won't ruin the story there. And then, you know, he was batting 20, 30 not, looking, looking reasonable. It took a long time to get to that 20 or 30. And then Steve Waugh kind of straight out. One of his, one of his heroes, you know, Steve Waugh, was, I think was maybe just the Australian captain then might have just stepped away. But, you know, was at the other end. And as, as rumour has it, Cade was kind of batting and they kind of met mid-pitch. Cade's kind of shaking. And Steve Waugh was kind of nudging and fudging it around for a few and then as the story goes, Cade said, mate, you just need to get off strike, get up the other end, I've got this, and went on to make a, a good 82 or three, um, you know, and, and I think one of the highlights of his career. But, you know, the story behind that was just incredible. You know, a lot of people didn't see that with Cade and, you know, maybe another one. We, we used to love Country Cup. You know, we got a bit excited, as all Country Cup teams do back in those days, was play between Christmas and New Year. And we had a game against Tamworth and we had a few, had a few the night before. And, you know, Tamworth got away on it, so got maybe 260. It was one of those ones everyone's not feeling that great the next day. And, you know, at half-time change over K's, like, lads, I'm going to get 100. If you guys can get the other 100 between you, we're going to be sweet. And, of course, you got a second baller, and the rest is history. You got rock and roll for about 40. But, uh, you know, that was the confidence of the man, you know, like uh, just a pleasure a pleasure playing with him and, you know, made, made a lot of us better. You know, we would have had average careers, but thankfully we are all retired with plenty of premierships and, and plenty of lifelong friends probably – you know, no thanks to Cactus, really. Women's cricket in the ACT experienced a decline during the mid-90s, with several representative players leaving the local competition, along with the retirement of several senior players. The ACT club competition was reduced to a 25-over format while new players were recruited. The following year, the competition reverted to a four-team, 40-over competition. Despite the senior competition struggling, the junior competition was continuing to grow and develop. ACT teams competed in the National Age Championships with varying degrees of success. In 1998, Peter Samotis was selected in the Australian Under-21 Development Squad. 
In 1999 and 2000, Chris Britt was named in the honorary Australian schoolgirls team, along with Genevieve O'Keefe in 2000. Chris Britt, who had captained both the ACT under-17s and under-19s teams, was chosen in the Australian youth squad in 2000. At club level, ACT cricket was thriving, with five teams in the under-13s, six teams in the under-15s and nine teams playing in the under-19s girls' competition. In 1998-99, an ACT Opens representative team was formed under coach Gordon McGuirk, a former Scottish international player, with the aim of eventually rejoining the WNCL, which ACT had left in 1994. The Meteors made a return to the competition for the 2009-10 season. During this era, Chris Britt had progressed through the ACT pathways and underage sides, and then onto a test debut for Australia in February 2003. In club cricket, as a 15-year-old, she captured the cricket world's attention with the highest ever score made in the women's game. Chris Britt spoke about her journey, that famous innings, and the pride she has for the game in its current state. So how did a young Chris Britt fall in love with cricket? A bit of a weird one. I was uh, at the AIS in Canberra within the athletics program and, and sort of got sick of waking up and playing a sport by yourself and saw a bit of a cricket sign on one of the lampposts on the way home driving in the car with mum and said, hey, I want to play cricket. Early days, Brittany, who were some of your, and even some of your coaches that, when you started playing? Within sort of coaching, you have so many coaches and I sort of reflected on that question for a little while. My first coach, Everett, sort of under 12 boys, um, and that was my first introduction. I had no idea that girls played cricket, and, and Joe was his name, Joe Lee, and, and he was able to sort of um, twist my arm into sort of going out and trialling for the women's under-19 state team, and I just had, yeah, absolutely no idea, I just, you know, like what the rules were or anything like that, and, and Joe sort of, yeah, started to sort of teach me and, and sort of held my own against the boys and got me into the under-18 or under-19 competition there, and from there on, it sort of just grew. Some other sort of, I guess, legends within the Canberra sort of cricket scene, obviously SJ Moore was my grade uh, coach and captain for many, many years. Um, and then going into the state sort of representative things, I went over to SA and was lucky enough to to uh, play under Mozza, so Mark Sorrell, who ended up going on coaching for Australia and things like that. Um, and also, um, yeah, a couple other sort of Lisa Kitely, I, I was able to play for Australia under as well. And, and those type of people sort of really shaped me, not just as a cricketer, but as a person. And I guess playing for Canberra and ACT through sort of my junior ranks, there wasn't uh, a great pool of, of players as such. So yeah. I think that gave you the ability to not be overcoached, to be honest, and just sort of let your sort of natural hand-eye coordination sort of take over. I never, ever sort of turned into that pure sort of batter, even all the way through my career, even when I, you know, played for Renegades at the back end. You know, what I did was obviously make some runs and, you know, it was patchy at times, but um, obviously was able to make some runs sort of long-term and, um, yeah, you sort of make your technique work sometimes. Talking about making runs, you're a 15-year-old, 344 not out in club cricket. I always believe it's still a world record. Tell us about what your memories are of that day. Yeah, it was pretty surreal, to be honest, and I still sort of laugh and shake my head. Like, being 15, I don't think I probably appreciated it at the time. But, yeah, it was at Arcane Indoor, um, sorry, enclosed oval, um, and, yeah, quite a big field, and, and you'd assume that it would be a lot of fours and sixes. But I remember being pretty knackered by the end and um, 
Uh, and I reckon I probably run 300 of them, whether that's true or not. Uh, I think um, by memory, I sort of got my first 100 for first drinks. And so I was like, oh, you know, pretty on here and, and hitting them all right. Um, and then you yeah, brought up my double century before the second drinks break. And then, yeah, sort of kicked on from there. And pretty, pretty good day for myself, that's for sure. To be honest, it didn't really sink in. I think, you know, like on those sort of days, as everyone's sort of aware, you have those days where everything just comes off. And it was one of those days. Even at the end of the game, like knowing that you scored, you know, 344, like obviously huge and you're knackered and, and, you know, very proud of yourself. But to not understand probably how big that was um, and being a world record and and obviously then that's your highest score ever. You're never going to get that again. (laughs) At 15, you sort of set yourself a bit of a benchmark. Even now talking about it, it probably probably inspires me a little bit. Like, yeah, actually I did do that and it probably didn't sink in, to be honest. Moving home and being able to be captain of the Meteors um, for eight years, that was something that I never thought I'd have the opportunity to do. Um, So going home and being able to sort of develop the pathways within the local community in Canberra was something that looking back on, I'm really proud of. Born and bred in Canberra and have that opportunity to play state cricket from out of nowhere, really. Um, Just being able to have that opportunity. And I think now we're so lucky and so privileged to see the women's game on TV and how professional it is now. Just being able to be exposed to that change, paying, you know, first state cricket opportunities when I was younger to then back end of my career, was lucky enough to sort of sit on that semi-professional type contract. And then, yeah, watching it now, it's just, I think the only word you can say is proud, just to see how much how much work everyone's done and, and the, all that hard work starting to pay off for the younger girls now, this generation. In all, Chris Britt made 10,731 runs in her brilliant career. That included 14 centuries. She also took 277 wickets. The season before her triple century, Britt made 210 against the same opposition, North Canberra Gungahlin. One of the all-time great women's players from the ACT was Bronwyn Calver, who forged a brilliant career after moving to Canberra from Melbourne, aged 10, in 1979. From the moment she made her debut in senior cricket, age 13, she built an incredible cricket resume. Some of her many highlights included 34 one-day internationals for Australia, average 53.4, the third highest ever. Her three test matches were in the inaugural Women's Ashes Series in 1998 in the United Kingdom. Won seven Women's National Cricket League titles with New South Wales in eight years hit the winning runs in the 1997 World Cup win over New Zealand in India, Cricket ACT Hall of Fame, Cricket ACT Life Member and ACT Sport Hall of Fame. Bromham reflected on her test debut, the World Cup win in India and her love of the game and how it has evolved. For a change, it was a warm day. I do remember that. We lost the toss and they batted and it was an absolute road. I think they got uh, three, 300, 400. We didn't bat until late on the second day. I had an inter- interesting experience. Um, I <laughs> had an infected cyst under my arm and I had to go to hospital on the morning of the third day and get it dealt with and then um, got back to the ground and then I ended up having to bat later on in the day. I was sent out there to, to have a crack to up the tempo and I thought at one stage there that I'd ripped the stitches out, but I hadn't thankfully. What did you make in that first innings? Oh, only 28 or 26 or yep. 28 off, off about 30. And um, But that was that was the game that um, Joe Broadbent got 
the double ton and Jonesy got 131. Did you have a cap presentation or anything or how did you find out that you were going to be selected? Uh, we always uh, had the team announcement the night before. We don't, we didn't have the cap presentations that you have that you see these days. So yeah, it was just a normal team meeting, and the team was announced, and that's how you knew. <laughs> Do you remember who told you? Oh, it would have been Johnny Harmer was just announcing the team, Johnny or Belinda. The team preparation and everything, and for for a few of us, it really was redemption after our performance in '93. So yeah, we had outstanding preparation from the start. We played a Rose Bowl series leading in, which we'd won 2-1. Yeah, it just went from strength to strength. We had Our first game was actually washed out, won everything on the way through to the um, the final at uh, Eden Gardens. What do you remember most about the, the, the final, you know, the atmosphere and the massive crowd that was on hand? Yeah, they actually, the local authorities actually bust in a whole lot of women from the surrounding areas and it was just amazing. It was incredible to pr- play in such front of such a big crowd. I know you're very modest, but tell us what happened right at the end. Uh, I, was, I was lucky enough to be out there in the middle with the rest of the order having um, scored the majority of the runs and I actually hit the winning run, but uh, it was just a culmination of everyone's efforts. It was pretty special. And Mum and Dad were there in the crowd too. They'd come over for the last couple of games, so it was a really good experience. It's hard to put put um, my finger on what it is, but um, I've always loved it, love watching it, love playing it, love umpiring, love scoring, love all aspects of it. I don't know. It's I don't know why it grabbed my attention. It just did. I mean, it, obviously, it wasn't a traditional sport for females around my area at the time when I took it up. I don't know. <laughs> just Yeah, just love, I'm a cricket nuffy, I guess. You must be delighted to see where the game is currently at the moment with what we see with you know WNCL games all live stream uh, WBBL matches on you know Fox Channel 7 oh, I'm just delighted to see where it's got to and I mean every, every era has had it better than the era before so this is just a progression of what started way back you know when women's cricket first started women's senior grade cricket was dominated by Wes during the mid 90s an early part of the new millennium. West, with star players Chris Britt and SJ Moore, dominantly won eight titles in succession from 1993-94 to 2001. Western Creek broke the sequence, winning the Premiership in 2001-02. Eastlake pulled off a great recruiting coup by enticing SJ Moore, Chris Britt and Melissa Campbell to the club and responded accordingly, winning three straight premierships between 2003 and 2005. A major boost in 2002-03 season was the revival of the senior ACT representative team, which played in the new Cricket Australia second tier championship against other second 11 teams, under new coach Steve Smith. Despite not winning a match, they found it a good learning experience. ACT had stopped playing in the national competition in 1995 and was not until 2009-10 season that the fledgling ACT team made its return to the national competition. Throughout the era in this period, Justice John Gallup remained president of the association. Gallup started his role in 1984 and finished at the end of the 2008-09 season, a remarkable total of 27 years. As well as his devotion to cricket, Mr Gallup was one of the longest serving judges in the ACT, Supreme Court and Federal Court of Australia. Mr Gallup was fittingly inducted as a life member of the association in 2001-02. Long serving ACT cricket chairman, 
Ian McNamee had a 35-year association with Mr Gallup and spoke about his friend and colleague. I first came upon John when he first arrived in Canberra as a lawyer uh, and we had some professional um, business together. At, uh, that was before he later became a, a judge. But I remember him as a cricketer. Uh, he uh, was an aggressive uh, wicketkeeper batsman, played in a PM's 11 game and, and uh, he thought he'd won the game in 64 and... Uh, <laughs> Sir Robert uh, Benzies wasn't at all impressed. He was looking forward to, <laughs> to a draw, but uh, no, he was a great cricketer. But he was, yeah, you know, he, he was pretty much on the front foot on the field. And um, I remember, in, in that respect, of the Test match in um, in Sydney, and Adam Gilchrist appealed, uh, uh, and uh, was quite voracious in his appeal. And John said, "Gee, look at him carrying on." I said, "John, it reminds me of somebody because it was the same thing coming out in wicket keepers." But uh, <laughs> he was a a great man, and uh, cricket certainly has a great debt to him. Uh, John had a a lot uh, as president of the association, and he was a he led. He, he didn't become involved in any club matters or affairs. He was there for advice. Uh, and I, I particularly remember going to various test venues where, you know, I'd be working the room trying to push the, our barrow and John would be out there uh, you know, being treated as royalty by those in the room, you know, people like Alan Davidson, for example, and the Bob Simpsons and whatever. Uh, he, he was a legend and he had the great respect of everybody that he met. And um, ACT cricket was was so far uh, better off with having a man like him involved steering it uh, and there for advice um, in crucial times. I do remember uh, when we we're in, when the comets were going and uh, we were unceremoniously thrown out of the comets and uh, he in fact uh, gave up his uh, duties on the on the bar to attend a meeting at Canberra Airport with the. Uh, Chair and Secretary of uh, Cricket Australia, as it was known at that stage, and or sorry, the Australian Cricket Board, as it was known at that stage. Later on, as that went further and things were looking dim, I remember flying to Brisbane with him, where we met the uh, Queensland Board to get them on side. And again, he dropped everything, and that that was the great thing about John. He was there, and uh, he was there to help out when required, but he just certainly didn't interfere with. Later on, one thing that gets missed is re- remembering people, and I noticed. Um, going through the, some of the records that John hadn't been noted too much for, for what he had done and I, I did organise for the uh, uh, the one-day cricket competition to be named after him and he was so proud of that and uh, would come up each year with uh, with his partner Judy and um, they uh, and he'd give his usual speech that uh, John was renowned for and, and on the speeches, um, the PM's games, uh, he... Um, he, he spoke uh, very well and eloquently at those and he'd always have a yarn or two to, to tell. To, towards the end, he, he told one and two or three times in a row, which was uh, about the, the the cricketer in England that didn't know his wife had left him until the cricket season had finished. So uh, that was one that I, I think those that hadn't heard it were impressed, but those that had before probably just uh, sniggered a little bit. But, uh, no, he's very good with his speeches. People do, that hung on, the, on a thread listening to them and uh, it was a hard act to follow, actually. Um, he um, asked me to take over as uh, president from him and, um, you yeah, know, that, that was one of the major things is to make sure you could present a speech which which was worthy of your of your predecessor and uh, 
uh, it was difficult, but uh, but certainly I tried. But he came to those games. He, but he was he was just so welcome. Everybody they mm-hmm. loved him, and uh, uh, th- that was John. And uh, uh, you know, people liked to be around him. Uh, they called in the judge uh, to his face, uh, not John or, um, or Mr. Gallup. It was uh, the term and uh, the endearing term from the cricketers. Uh, and they liked him around. The cricketers, you know, they, they welcomed him around. So I think he was a, a great inspiration uh, for, for cricket. Another wonderful servant of administration to ACT cricket was Bruce Dockrell, who was ACT Cricket Association Secretary from 1998 to 2014 and awarded life membership of ACT cricket in 2010. The new Sir Donald Bradman stand was officially opened by the Honourable John Howard, PM of Australia, and Mr Gary Humphreys, MLA Chief Minister of the ACT, on Thursday, December the 7th, 2000. The cost was $7.6 million and was ready for the PM's 11 game in December that year. There were approximately 1,500 seats in the Bradman stand, and on these seats, Governor-Generals, Prime Ministers, High Commissioners, Ambassadors, Sponsors, Partners and past players have all sat over the years watching various games from the best seats in the house. Ian McNamee became a strong advocate in the redevelopment of Marnica, including the new stand. Well, there are a few things that happened with Marnica Oval. The uh, the, the original Marnica Oval uh, board that I mentioned that John Gallup was on, uh, in fact, at that stage uh, I was on that and, and we organised a move of rugby union at that stage to Marnica Oval, which was the first improvement to the old Bradman stand when the uh, when the sails were put up and some extra seating, which is still there today. The, and those boards continued in various forms. Sometimes rugby were on them, other times AFL. But in the end, there was a move. Uh, sorry, the ACT government wanted Bruce Stadium, as it was known at that stage, uh, to be used by, by rugby league as the Raiders had given up Seaford Oval in Queanbeyan. Uh, and the ACT government offered $8 million to cricket and AFL to, as a piece uh, um, uh, sake to uh, to move off the um, to move off the oval. We uh, we then formed a board called the Manica Oval Management Company uh, with um, Alan McKinnon, Brian Quaid from the AFL, and uh, Gary Goodman and myself from Cricket. It was probably one of the best working boards I'd been on. Uh, as it turned out, we all pulled together and we did everything in the interest of the uh, of the Oval and, and, and without putting our own associations forward. But in the end, uh, it was decided uh, uh, after several meetings uh, that the money had to be pooled into one source and after those meetings, it was finally agreed that Marnica would be the, the venue. Uh, we were later to secure another million dollars from John Howard and the building was completed, I believe, in about 2013, not completely, and I was reminded the other day by the uh, the foreman of the project coordination uh, that uh, the building wasn't completed, uh, but they had enough ready for us for the uh, pavilion to be used for the game, PM's game in 2000. That, that board, uh, which was uh, chaired by Ron Harvey, who, who had a great background with the Institute of Sport, we, we did a lot with that building. Uh, we added extra – with the extra money, we added uh, offices there for ACT cricket and also AFL. Uh, that's what happened there. And the um, 
it, it went very well. It was a great, uh, it was a great venue, and uh, it's. But it, it certainly has been, or was a great venue for um, ACT cricket, and, and it happened at a time of when the Comets were around, and um, uh, we had everything in Canberra at that stage. With the Comets, we were getting. $250,000 a year, which was a lot of money in those days from Hewlett-Packard as a sponsor for the Comets. Yep. We had a new pavilion. The president of Australian cricket or the chair was from Tasmania and Tasmania, I believe, felt threatened by what we were getting and I think that ultimately led to us getting not taken up to a level of being put into the Sheffield cell, but we were in fact thrown out of the Mercantile Mutual. As part of a focus on the current clubs playing in the ACT Cricket Association, I caught up with the president of the North Canberra Gungarland Cricket Club, Phil Coe. So Phil, I believe the early days of the club can be traced back over 100 years. The cricket club was originally based in central Canberra. So Ainsley Cricket Club turned a cricket club, a Northbourne Cricket Club. But it was 1969, those three clubs that I mentioned, Ainsley, Turner and Northbourne, merged to form City Cricket Club, which Northern Suburbs Cricket Club also operated at the same time. And in 1989, formed a joint venture. So it was actually known in the early Canberra North Darramarlin Cricket Club. There was a city and suburban club called Darramarlin Cricket Club, which was formed out of the, the local school, I guess. They'd actually merged with Northern Suburbs Cricket Club um, the year before the bigger merger. It was 1989 is really when they came together to form the entity that we've got today. Our home grounds were primarily based at Reed Oval, which is right across the road from the War Memorial. That was our training base. Keatonia Oval, Memorial Oval, which was known as Majura Oval, which is, um, they were our two grounds for a long time. 12 years ago, there was more of a focus as Canberra was growing north towards Gungahlin, uh, that, that cricket needed a footprint there. And, and we were the club that I guess, gained that area and began to grow in that direction. 2011, uh, two grounds were put out there, Harrison Harrison uh, District Playing Fields, who had two, two grounds there, and to put in a, a club room or add on to the, the change rooms that were there. Uh, so we have formed a base out there. That is our training facility. And look, I would say without the stats in front of me that probably about 70% of our juniors come from that Gungahlin area. You know, our first grades still play at Kittorny Memorial Oval. Certainly a growing base out in that Gungahlin area. And of course, in uh, I've been a lot of great contributors on and off the field, but who is some of them? A bit of a snapshot on those, Phil, who have probably had that main influence. Kittornia, who... The ground was ultimately named after. Bronwyn Calver, who was a significant player for Australia, um, played a lot of cricket with North and, and with women's cricket and some men's cricket as well. That I can also mention, a, a guy called Pete Nelson was involved with the club a good you know, 30 years or so. Pete was a local reverend, actually married quite a number of the players over the years. Two brothers called Ron and Dennis Axelby. They were both, if you go back further to the City Cricket Club, uh, which was around for 20 years, Ron was the secretary and, and Dennis was the treasurer for the entire existence of the 20 years of that cricket club. They both then continued in that role in the merged club in 1989. And look, they must have done it for another 15 years or so together. 
And I guess the other person that played a significant role is a guy called Gordon McGurk. Players, he played for Scotland. Um, look, he arrived in the club in the, in the late 90s. For 20 years, he was the driving force behind the coaching and training at North. The people love stats. And uh, so maybe who have been some of your leading run scorers, wicket takers? Starting first grade, um, if we're talking runs here, uh, a guy called Scott Cameron is our, our leading run scorer with almost 4,000 runs. Interestingly, our leading bowler, Heath Axelby, which is Dennis's son, who I mentioned before, is our leading matches player in first grade and by far the most number of wickets. But he is actually second on our all-time run scoring list as well. Um, in regard to wickets, Heath has taken 473 first grade wickets, which is uh, pretty impressive. And I think that's he, he registers quite high on the all-time first grade statistics. Bruce Mickelson has taken 260. Gordon McGurk is our all-time run scorer across all grades, 7,700 runs. Pete Nelson, who I mentioned before, has done 6,500 runs. And um, Jason McNamara is 5,700. If we're talking wickets, we've had a guy named Paul Jelfs, who is actually up to 881 wickets. And dare say, you know, when we're talking cricket in the territory over the last 100 years, Paul would probably be in the top. So Heath Axelby, 672. Dennis Axelby, 640. And Ron Axelby, 687. Our wicket keeper is very important. And there's a very familiar name at the top of the list. Philip Coe at 527. 417 catches, 110 stumpings. Well done. I would say that I've been very lucky with some very good bowlers that have caught the edge quite a few times. And then the most matches there. Paul Jobs, who I mentioned before, 446 matches. Heath. Axelby's 373 uh, and Dennis Axelby's uh, 369 are there. But look, altogether from over 100 matches, we've got we've got 83 players, which I think is quite quite a lot. Some of the male and female players who might have gone on represented Australia at the highest level, ACT, first class level. Put together a list of international players that are, that have played the Norths. Interestingly, only Bromwyn Calver, who who played um, for Australia is the only one that's actually played for Australia. However, we have another, look, we've got another seven or eight that have actually played for other countries. Gordon Greenwich played um, seven or eight games for us in 1989. Chris Cairns played, you know, two seasons for us. We've actually had three that have played for Papua New Guinea. Um, none of them, so Asad Vala, Kipling, Jason Keeler, Gordon McGurk, who I mentioned before, played for Scotland, and George Munsey, who currently is playing for Scotland. He went to the, the recent World Cup. You know, we've, we've had a number of players that chalk up the 100, 200, 300 games, and I think that really does make a difference in maintaining that culture. I feel like we've got lots of juniors onwards, and, um, you know, we're really progressing well at the moment. So I think that's what I've enjoyed, you know, the community aspect, service culture to try and support others, um, and, you know, have fun along the way. Thanks, Phil. To find out more about the Western Creek Malongolo Cricket Club, I caught up with current first grade captain John Rogers and started by asking him, the club is now Western Creek Malongolo, but before that, it was a little bit different. Yes, that's right, Robbie. Um, formerly Western Creek, it was formed in 1972 as a junior club um, and, and participated in the sub-district competitions uh, in 75-76 before playing third and fourth grade in 78-79. They were added to the first grade competition in an, in an expanded um, competition in 79-80. The side was renamed Western Creek Malonglo in 
2013-14 to take advantage of the new residential developments in the Malongolo Valley. From those humble beginnings, the club now fields seven senior men's sides, two women's sides, a veterans' side, 20 junior sides and 120 entry to cricket players. Home base is Stirling Oval, which was opened on the 26th of Feb 1978. It, it quickly became not just a home ground but a social hub of community for the club. In a time before my cricket and the internet, returning to Stirling every Saturday for barbecues and beers, which still happens today, catching up on the day's play and performances across the grades. And, John, in that time, the club's produced so many outstanding cricketers at all levels of rep cricket. Uh, you might just be able to go through a few of those for us. Yeah, the, the club has uh, quite an enviable alumnus uh, representing the, the creek at various levels, uh, including Australian cricketers Michael Bevan and Mike Valletta, Wallaby George Gregan, countless domestic PMs 11 and Big Bash players, including Mac Wright, Ange Reeks, my little brother Tom, Maitland Brown, John O'Dean, Huntley Armstrong, Charlie Bloomfield, Cade Brown, Blake Dean, Greg Irvine, Terry Davies, John Abrahams, Stuart Fletcher and John Carr, to name just a few. The club is in a very strong position from all the hard work and effort from every person that has gave up their time uh, and skills for the creek. The creek has always been a pioneer cricket in Canberra, including such firsts as the installation of all-weather nets, overseas imports and full-time employed groundsmen. Yeah, very impressive list. And I'm just going to throw one more in there, a very humble man. John Rogers himself, of course, former first-class player, so I'm not going to let you leave yourself out. Thanks, Robbie. I've <laughs> skipped over that one. <laughs> now, who were some of those early people at the club who really made an impact and put it in the position it is in these days? Yeah, two people um, at the centre of the original development of the club were Don Brooker, um, and Percy Samara Wikrama, um, who who is uh, affectionately memorialised in in, um, in our nets. Don was a former New South Wales country cricketer who had had played first grade in Bankstown and mixed with the likes of Keith Miller and, and Richie Benno. He'd taken a teaching role in Canberra, and, and having heard about the meeting, he attended with his son. After that meeting. He would go on to be the club's first president and and instill his cricket values and philosophies into the framework of this club for many years to come. Percy, in the words of the, those who knew him, was not much of a cricketer, but for what he lacked in ability, he more than made up for in his intense love of the game. A fiercely creative mind and a wealth of cricketing connections. Together, these two visionaries formed a potent and complementary combination the legacy with this club continues and has set up the, the creek to serve its members for decades to, that preceded. And, of course, John, everyone's always interested in uh, club history and who's who's been the star with the bat and the ball. You might be able to just go over a few of those before we let you go. Yeah, not, not surprisingly, and possibly the most well-known Western Creek celebrity is the all-time leading run scorer, Cade Brown, with 10,353 runs. And, and yet another well-known creaker is the leading wicket-taker in Don Brooker, who we spoke about just before. The most games played for the club is held by Chris Browning. Amazingly, he is still playing. I'm not sure when he started, probably in the inaugural season, but he's still going. In total, the club's won 74 premierships across all grades. 
Well, uh, John, you're the current skipper of first grade. Is there any likelihood that um, in this 100th year of ACT cricket, the, the Creekers could make it premiership number 75 across any of the grades? I, I, I'd love to see number 75 come home to, to, to Sterling. Um, I think we're still a good chance. Uh, the second graders played in the in the final of the one-day comp, but unfortunately fell a bit short. But I think we've got some some good chances of making some two-day finals now that it's back after COVID. Well, John, thanks for your time, mate. Good luck for the rest of the year. Thanks for your contribution you've made uh, at Western Creek Malongolo. And also uh, the, the club itself has played a massive part in, uh, you know, in the 100 years of cricket in the nation's capital. No problems, Robbie. Thanks for having me on. Well, that completes episode five of a look back on the first 100 years of cricket in the ACT. The sixth and final episode is up next. We look forward to you joining us on Glory Days for a big finish to a big 100 years of cricket in the ACT. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And it's bye for now.